Hello, and welcome to Monumental, where we sit down with entrepreneurs, leaders, visionaries, and big thinkers making monumental change. Here's your host, Evan Holliday. Welcome to Monumental. I'm your host, Evan Holliday, and today we have on with us a guest I am really, really excited for, Michael Hyatt. Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Evan. Thanks for having me on. Yes. Uh, so great to have you on the show. I'm really excited for today's episode and being able to, to share your story with our monumental listeners. Um, so before we jump in, a quick background on Michael. Michael is the founder and CEO of Michael Hyatt and Company, an online leadership development company dedicated to helping high achievers win at work and succeed at life. He's formerly the CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers and is also a New York Times bestselling author of Platform get noticed in a noisy world, and the co-author of Living Forward, a proven plan to stop drifting and get the life you want. Through his blogs, books, and online courses, Michael's ideas impact the lives of millions worldwide. And uh, my fiance, Jeanette, and I can speak to that personally. Uh, And he and his wife of 38 years, Gail, have five daughters and eight grandchildren. He enjoys reading, spending time with family, fly fishing, and geeking out over the newest technology. Uh, And as well, I just wanted to add that in today's episode, we're actually going to dive quite a bit into his latest book, The Vision Driven Leader, that will be released on March 31st. So Michael, that's uh, that's quite a a wind up. Why don't we uh, just dive right into your background and how you got to where you are today? Well, let's do it. Um, I spent most of my career in the book publishing world because in college, I just got completely fascinated with books, books had a huge impact on my thinking. Um, I wasn't really raised in a a family that was very educated. And somehow when I got to college and began to read and read for myself, not just the required textbooks, but other things that interested me, I found out a whole world opened up. And so really in those early years, I could kind of chase back or look back on the major changes that happened in my life and peg them to certain books that had a big impact on me. So I thought, man, I would love to be in the book publishing world you know, what, what better than bring more books into the world that could change people's lives and change the trajectory of, of uh, where they were going. So I uh, began to work for a small publisher in Waco, Texas. Um, I went to Baylor University. And so when I finished there, I went right uh, into this job as a marketing director for a small publishing company. And then I ended up coming to Thomas Nelson Publishers, to make a long story short, came to Thomas Nelson Publishers where I eventually ended up uh, as the CEO and the chairman of the company, Thomas Nelson. At the time I became the CEO, was the seventh largest book publisher in the US. We sold that company to HarperCollins Publishers, which almost everybody's heard of. And uh, that was in 2011, and that's when I stepped out and said, now I'm gonna do what I've always dreamed of doing, which is to write and speak, and I've grown this leadership development company over the course of the last uh, nine years. That's powerful. And in reading the Vision Driven Leader uh, book, it was really, um, it was really great to kind of get a snapshot into your story, into your life of like, you know, the, the ups and downs that you faced and, and, you know, going into starting your own publishing company and, and what that was like and the ultimate failure of that company. But walk us through that kind of the, the beginning, the, the idea, and then the, the growth of that company and then the full story of that. Yeah, I kind of missed the hiatus. I came to Thomas Nelson for the first time back in 1984. 
And I stayed for two years. And then my boss and I left the company to decide or to uh, found our own publishing company, which was called Walgamuth and Hyatt. We named it after ourselves. My partner was Robert Walgamuth. And we decided that, uh, you know, it couldn't be that hard. Publishing didn't have to be that hard. Like we were experiencing at Thomas Nelson, which at the time was a big kind of corporate bureaucratic publishing house. And we were just frustrated. We felt there were so many great books that weren't getting published. And we kind of had just sort of this ambiguous vision of publishing better books. So we rolled up our sleeves, we raised some money, we got started with this company. But what we quickly discovered was that the lack of vision was our undoing. And because we didn't have a clear vision about the future, we were just taking every opportunity that was coming our way. We had an inability to say no. We were publishing children's books, adult trade books. We had a massive Bible project. We had coloring books. We had a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and nothing in particular. And so it just became this unwieldy thing that grew fast, but eventually strangled us. And so we got into this distribution relationship, thinking that the biggest thing we needed was more distribution. So we got into a relationship with a bigger publishing company who uh, really didn't do us any favors. I mean, they ended up doing about 10% of the distribution that we were doing on our own. Our cash flows plummeted. And within about nine months, we were out of business. It was one of the biggest, most public, colossal failures I've ever been a part of. It was humiliating, it was embarrassing, and it was devastating. It was devastating for my confidence, and it took us, you know, a couple years to, to recover and go on and find something else. I went on from that to a literary agency, and then I found my way back to Thomas Nelson, where I ended up becoming a divisional manager. And this is where vision kind of comes back into uh, place, because I realized that there was just something wrong in my own publishing company, that that lack of vision just meant that we didn't have any direction. We were good at execution, but when you're good at execution and you don't have a vision, you just get really busy and create a lot of busy work and a lot of fake work. So when I went to Thomas Nelson, I got responsibility for one of its 14 book publishing divisions. It was a division called Nelson Books. What I didn't know when I took over the division, but I, I discovered shortly thereafter, was that division was dead last in every important metric. Revenue growth, we were dead last, number 14 out of 14. In terms of profit margin, 14 out of 14. You know, every possible metric, we were upside down. The good news, I suppose, if there was any, was that I really couldn't screw it up. You know, I could only make it better. So I dug in, went back to my team. I told the CEO that it would take three years to turn that division around. I went back to the team. Um, and I, I, I kind of spent a few days before I did that in trying to get clear on a vision for the future. So I, I wrote down as a series of bullets what I wanted to be true in three years, because that was the time horizon that I had given uh, to the CEO. I said, this is what, you know, I think it'll take, it three years, take us three years to turn it around. And so I had very specific things in that, at what I now call a vision script. It was more than a simple statement, but it was much more of a blueprint or a clear, robust vision of where I wanted us to go over the course of the next three years. And amazingly, it didn't take us three years. We went from 14 to number one in terms of revenue growth, profit margin, all the significant metrics. We did that in a year and a half, not three years. So I saw then and there the power of vision. And it's been something I've been fascinated with ever since. And then I was promoted to the CEO over the course of several years, and vision became sort of the foundation of everything I I try to do at that company and everything I've tried to do in my own company. That's, that's incredible. And also incredible how you uh, were able to lift yourself out of a, like you said, a very public 
defeat, you know, it was, you know, losing that company that you had built and, you know, put your name on. Yeah. Um, that's, that's very public. And, I, you know, I haven't experienced anything like that, but I know that maybe some of our listeners have. And how, how would you be able to take our listeners on a, on a journey out of that situation or what, what advice would you have and how you regain that confidence? Yeah, I would say a couple of things. Um, first of all, as a leader, your ability to process failure will determine your destiny. Because what happens to a lot of people is because they can't process failure, they end up stuck and they just can't go forward. You know, they end up living in the past with a lot of regret, a lot of rehearsal over what went wrong, over perhaps how they were wronged and why they were a victim and all that. But thankfully I had some mentors in my life that didn't allow me to do that. It was one of those experiences that I would never want to repeat, but I would not trade the lessons I learned from that experience for anything. So you gotta be able to metabolize failure. And I think first of all, is just to own it. And so one of the first things that happened to us when our company went down, we were so angry at the distributor because we felt like we were victims, it was their fault. So we met with an attorney and we said, we want to sue this distributor. You know, it's, it's their fault. They put us in the situation. We were on a great trajectory and we would have succeeded had it not been for sort of their malfeasance, their incompetency. And so the attorney said to us, he said, well, you know, I'm happy to take the case. You know, you're going to have to put up some money for a retainer. But he said, I just want to, I just want to tell you what's going to happen. He said, for the next three years, you're going to spend time in and out of depositions, time in and out of court. And he said, you're going to feel like you were turned inside out, upside down. Every decision you've ever made is going to be questioned. It's going to be cast in the worst possible light. You're going to be seen as the perpetrator, not the victim. That's how the, the opposing counsel is going to try to portray you. And at the end of the day, even if you win, you're going to feel, it's going to feel like a very hollow victory. You're going to feel like you didn't really win as much as you should have. And what I've seen over and over again is people become bitter and angry and you're going to stay stuck. If you want to do that, you know, I'm happy to do it. You know, this is what I do for a living, but I just would love for you to think over the weekend about what you're about to enter into. And so over the course of that weekend, my partner and I talked, we prayed about it, we thought about it, we talked to our, our wives about it, and we said, you know, the truth is, we're at fault. You know, we had to own that failure 100%. Mm -hmm. Nobody held a gun to our heads. We got into that relationship with the distributor uh, of our own volition. You know, we, that was a decision that we made. We didn't do our due diligence. We weren't as careful as we should have been. There were a lot of mistakes that we made along the way. And we had to own it 100%. I think that's the first part of processing failure is that you've got to own the consequences of where you are right now. And if you're in the middle of failure, you know, just own it. And, and I remember several years later, this was, you know, if you fast forward about 10 years into the middle of the recession, um, I was meeting with a, one of my mentors, um, an executive coach, who I had missed my financial numbers for the previous month. And this one, I was, I was at the CEO of Thomas Nelson at this point. And so she said to me, well, explain to me why you missed your numbers. And I said, well, first of all, maybe you've heard there's a recession going on. You know, this is like <coughs> unbelievable recession going on. Our industry's in turmoil because the whole industry is going from analog to digital. Social media has taken the marketing world by storm. And there was all these external forces. So she was very patient, very kind. She said to me, okay, I get that. She said, but what was it about your leadership that led to this result? Well, first of all, 
I didn't like that question. I didn't like that question at all. In fact, uh, I reacted pretty negatively. I said, what do you mean? What was it about my leadership? I just told you it was all this stuff outside of my leadership. And she said, well, okay, well, let me ask you a different question. If you could go back 30 days ago and do anything different, would you have done anything differently? And I said, well, absolutely. And she said, well, like what? And I said, well, I would have meant earlier with the sales department to make sure that they were fully committed to the numbers they said they could deliver. She said, okay, what else? I said, well, I would have, I would have gone with them on these major account visits like to Target and Walmart and, you know, Barnes and Noble. I would have gone on those personally. She said, okay, what else? So I named, you know, four or five other things. She said, okay, so what you've told me is that it is about your leadership. You could have made a difference, but for whatever reason you didn't. She said, I'm not blaming you. I'm just trying to get you to own this as your problem. You're not the victim. And I said, dang, you're right. And so yeah. I think that's the, the first process, Evan, in really beginning to, to metabolize failure and to turn it into something that can actually fuel your success is you've got to first own it, you know, and, and frankly, grieve it. You know, failure is not easy. We don't need to, you know, put lipstick on a pig and try to dress it up. You know, we just have to, you know, it's, it's hard. And to own it, to grieve it, and then from there to begin to move on and say, you know what, my past does not determine my future. And what if everything in my past actually prepared me for the future that's next? And that's how I saw it. I saw it as a great big lesson that would be hugely helpful. And, and by the way, this was a process. It wasn't like I just had this amazing insight and I was so wise and so smart. No, this was, you know, months of reflecting upon it and wrestling with it and thinking about it. But I came out much stronger on the other side of it. In fact, if I had not had that business failure, I don't think I would have been equipped or ready to lead Thomas Nelson uh, when I became the CEO in 2005. Yeah, that is really powerful. And I, I could not agree more with, the, with what you've said about, you know, it starts from within. It starts from ownership. It starts from you owning everything around you, your environment, totally. your decisions, you know, your, your past, your future, your present. And taking full ownership of that because you know that once you do that, then you have a lot more, um, you know, ability to get things done if you don't feel like you're at the whim of others or the environment or the economy or whatever. Um, That's right. And so how going, going to Thomas Nelson and, and being able to, to grow that from the, the worst division of 14 to the best and then ultimately running the company, um, that's a pretty powerful run. Is that... Is that a lot to do, like you said, because of your failure, because of what you learned? Well, yes, that provided the foundation. But more importantly than that, yeah, you got to be able to process the past. You've got to turn it into to sort of the fertilizer that fuels your growth. But you got to have clarity. This is, this is where vision comes in. You got to have clarity about where you want to take your organization. You know, hard work is important. But without vision, it so often turns into just you know, the, what I call the hustle fallacy or fake work, a lot of sideways energy, people really be busy doing a lot of stuff, but it's not really going anywhere directionally. So you got to have hard work, but it's not enough. You got to have alignment in your organization. You know, that's the key to getting everybody working toward the same goals and working in the same direction. But the foundation is vision. If you don't have clarity about the future, then there's nothing to align around. And if there's nothing to align around, there's nothing to shape people's execution or their daily work. So I think vision is the first and most important responsibility of a great leader. You've got to articulate 
a better, more compelling vision of the future, a superior state to what you're in right now. And particularly today, where people, you know, who are operating at the time we're recording this, I mean, full employment, it's difficult to recruit people and get great people for your organization. Right now, our organization is about, we have 40 full-time employees. We've got 12 full-time positions open right now. We're desperately trying to find those wow. people. And just paying them more is not, you know, the solution. What people want today, and particularly people that are millennials, which our company is almost entirely millennials, they want mission and they want vision. They want to know what their daily work, how it links up to a bigger, better story of, of how they're making an impact in the world. And for leaders, it's on us to come up with that vision to provide that clarity. And as a quick side note to what you're saying, I, I looked at your careers page and you're spot on. You know, you're, what you're speaking is what you're doing. Um, you know, I, I looked on your career page and it had your mission. It had your, your um, you know, your core um, values, goals yeah. and values and, and where you're going and, you know, all the perks that you have. And you, you laid all that out in a very seamless, integral, well-communicated way because Thank you're right. You. I mean, that's how, that's how people get excited about something. That's why they join a movement because they want to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. And if it's well-communicated, then it's easier for them to grasp that and, and get behind it. You know, this is, this is so important, Evan, because, you know, in the world that I grew up, and, you know, I'm probably twice your age, but in the world that I grew up in, you know, basically what corporate America said to the workers is, look, we know the work's not that interesting. You're going to be making widgets. You're going to be doing it in a factory. It's going to be boring. But if you hang in here, uh, give it all you've got till about 65, save your money, then you can retire and do what you want to do. Well, the current generation, I, I mean, honestly, even me, I think even people that are enlightened <laughs> generation, that's not enough. You know, I, I want it now. You know, I want to feel like I've got meaning and significance now. I want work that matters now. I'm sure it's true for you. It's true. You know, I've got kids all your age. You know, I've got five daughters. They're all the same way. You know, they want work that matters now. But that starts with vision. You know, where's this thing going? Where are you taking it? And again, nobody can, nobody can impose a vision from without. You know, you can't buy it on Amazon. You can't, uh, you know, just, you know, like just conjure it you know, in some mystical way. No, it takes some hard work about thinking about the future. And in my new book, The Vision Driven Leader, I really articulate a whole formula, a whole way of doing that. I don't think that vision is something that, that belongs just to charismatic leaders or just to quote visionary leaders, but it's something that every leader can possess. Every leader can be a visionary leader, but they've just never been taught. Most of us have never been taught. It's not taught in business school. It's not passed on in most corporations. A few, you know, sort of defy the odds. But by and large, I'd say 90% of the businesses out there don't have clarity around their vision because the leader doesn't have clarity about where he wants to take or where she wants to take the organization. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. And as an entrepreneur myself and starting my own venture and, and diving into that, it is vastly this like gray area that people, you know, you know they, they talk about vaguely, but people don't understand what, what you're saying. A lot of people and entrepreneurs and, and leaders do not understand that the vision, if you can get clarity behind that, um, then it is massively powerful for your actions and for getting you through the thick and the thin, the, the, the hard times, the totally. struggles. Um, and that's something we went through. Like I spent two weeks when we launched our company, I was like, let me just get super clear on what it is that we want. And so I, I really resonated with that in your book. You said you like set aside time 
where you're by yourself, no distractions, you know, no phones, no anything that will like buzz and get you out of your deep state of focus. Yeah, it's critically important to set aside that time. And I think, unfortunately, one of the major reasons why leaders don't create vision is because they are so busy with the day to day. I mean, business as usual, just operating the enterprise, keeping it afloat, making payroll, finding new customers, servicing those customers, you know, that could take up every waking minute if you let it. And that's why it's critically important for leaders to get away and get out of the business and work on the business, not merely be in the business. That takes reflection. That takes what Cal Newport calls deep work. And again, nobody can do that for you. You can't order it on Amazon. You got to do it for yourself. And it's not that hard. I had a um, major leader at my house from a major university um, over the weekend. And so he was struggling with the vision thing. And I said, well, look, I, we're not going to get this in, you know, in uh, on this weekend. But I think in the next 45 minutes, we can sketch out something that will be back to run on and get you really excited. And we did. I just put a mind map up on the screen and we started mapping it out. And literally in 45 minutes, we had the major kind of um, sort of the pillars of his vision. And he was so jazzed to go home and flesh it out. It doesn't take that long. You just have to have the right track. And that's what, why I'm so pleased with the book, with The Vision Driven Leader, is that we've laid out that track so that it's not exactly paint by number, but it's the closest thing to paint by number so that you don't have to be you know, that uh, archetypal, mythical, visionary leader. You just have to be somebody that's willing to kind of roll up your sleeves and put in the work. Can you, can you outline that um, Vision Driven Leader uh, outline and the, the goals behind that for our listeners? Yeah, I can. So here's the thing I would say is that sometimes we get confused about the difference between mission and vision. So the key thing is mission is about what we're doing now. It answers the questions of who we are, who we serve, what is the product that we deliver, and what specifically what's the transformation that we deliver. But a vision is not about now, it's about then. It's about out there. It's about what we're trying to build toward. And typically we need to think of a three to five year time horizon. Longer than that, and things get really fuzzy, particularly at the rate of technological change. Now in some businesses, a 10 year vision is totally appropriate, but for 90% of the businesses that I've worked with, and I've worked with hundreds, now even thousands of entrepreneurs and, and business owners, for most of them, three to five years is the best time horizon. In our own business, we look at a three-year vision because it's changing that fast. Second thing is that it needs to be robust, not brief. We're not looking for, like a, like a mission statement can be brief. You could put it maybe on a t-shirt. It ought to be something that people can recite almost from memory. But a vision is going to be more robust because you're building a future. It's kind of like if uh, I just got finished this summer building a um, den onto the back of my house. It was a big project that took about nine months to finish. And, uh, you know, thank God I had a blueprint because I had everybody <laughs> coordinated in terms of what we were trying to build. And in fact, we had a 3D rendering of what it looked like. So everybody from, you know, the, the carpenter all the way up to the building or the, the construction supervisor all the way to the architect, everybody had the same vision of what this was gonna look like when it was finished. So everybody could work toward the same objective. That's how we need to think of a vision. It's gonna be more robust. I think the best vision scripts, and that's what I call it as a vision script. I wanna get away from this statement idea. 
The division script is going to be typically three to four, maybe five pages long. And you're going to speak into four categories, the future of your team. And I'll come back to these in just a second. Future of your team, the future of your products. What do those look like in three years? The future of your marketing. Sometimes that includes sales and the future of your impact. So those four categories. So you want a robust, comprehensive, blueprint-like vision of what it is you're trying to create, what it is you envision. And you want to stand in the future. You want to use your imagination and step into the future. Now, Evan, the problem with most of us with our imagination is we use that God-given faculty to worry, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, we imagine the worst case scenario. We imagine what we don't want uh, instead of what we do want. I remember Tony Robbins telling a, a story in a conference I was at one time, and he said that he, he went to one of those Formula One racing schools where, you know, mere mortals can learn how to drive these race cars. You just pay a bunch of money and they teach you how to drive them and it's a lot of fun. So the first thing his instructor said is he said, look, you're going to be going into those turns at over 100 miles an hour. And he said, the one thing you must not do do not look at the wall. He said, if you look at the wall, you will run into the wall. And so sure enough, he's going down that straightaway. I mean, he's fired up, his adrenaline's flowing. He starts seeing that wall come up. He goes into the turn and he fixates on the wall. The instructor who's sitting in the passenger seat next to him takes his helmet and pushes his head back into the turn. Wow. Because he said, your body and the car will follow where you're looking. And you cannot focus on what you don't want. That's negative vision. Instead, you've got to focus on what you do want. You've got to get crystal clear on what you do want. So you've got to use your imagination to step into the future and look at a superior, better, more compelling future. And then you've got to describe what you see. The best way to do that, Evan, is to write it down. There's something powerful about writing. There's this um, anonymous quote that I love. Thoughts disentangle themselves passing over the lips and through pencil tips. So there's something about hmm. taking kind of a vague general idea that's rattling around in your mind and either speaking it out loud, that's helpful, but even more helpful to, to actually write it down. That forces you to get clear. And then here's the next thing you want to do. And then we can go back if you want and unpack the different categories. But then what you want to do is you want to write it in the present tense as though it were your current reality. This is a little bit of brain hacking science. And the truth is the science shows because we've lit up people and recorded their brain waves when they're doing this, your brain can't distinguish between something vividly imagined and something actually experienced. This is why every performance coach for Olympic athletes, a part of their practice is visualizing what they want their bodies to do. You know, if you're a golfer, if you're Tiger Woods, yeah, you're gonna be out there putting, you're gonna be out there driving, you're gonna be working on your short game, but you're gonna be working on the mental game of vividly imagining the ideal shots. Same thing if you're a football player, if you're a quarterback, doesn't matter what it is, that's a part of the performance coaching, is using this ability to imagine, but to see it in the present tense, because your body, your mind, your whole being begins to uh, see it as happening in real time. You begin to believe it. You begin to suspend disbelief and you start manifesting it or making it happen. Does that make sense? Yes. I love it. 
Um, and, and I completely agree. I think it's, it's getting that pen to paper. Um, that is really when your ideas become real. Uh, and that's something my mentor has, has passed on to me many times over. Um, and, and I love how you break it down by your team, your products, sales and marketing and your impact, um, for that vision script. Um, You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Okay. I don't want to hijack the interview, your interview, but I am happy to unpack that. Yeah. Let's dive into it. Okay. So when you're talking about your vision, your vision script should consist of four components. So the first one is team. Now, why team at the most important? Shouldn't your customer be number one? No, not in my opinion. Here's why. If you take care of your team, your team will take care of the customers and your customers will take care of you. Your team is the means by which you bring this reality, this, this vision into reality. In fact, I would say this. If your vision doesn't require a team, your vision's too small. So it begins with a vision for your team. And there's a lot of people that are solopreneurs that, you know, they haven't figured out how to go to the next level. And it's critically important that you go to the next level, going to the next level, beginning to hire, even on a small scale, even one person who's part-time frees you up to get more and more focused on what I call in my book, Free to Focus, Your Desire Zone. And that's where your highest leverage contributions are going to be made. So you've got to think about what is the kind of team that you want. You want to talk about their talents, their experiences, work-life balance. What would create a phenomenal team culture that would drive the operating results in your business? And I say it like this. Culture is the unseen force that drives operating results. It's invisible to most leaders. Most leaders don't spend enough attention on it. But in your vision, it's an opportunity to get crystal clear. So can I give you just a few examples? Let's dive in. Okay. So when I'm looking at the kind of team that I want to create, let me just turn to the right page here in the book. Here's some, um, these are statements, and I would craft these as a series of bullets under team, but these are just some examples of things that we have underneath that team part of our vision script. Our teammates possess impeccable character, extraordinary talent, and a proven track record, record of competence. So we're looking for A players, basically, and that's how we articulate it. And again, it's in the present tense. Here's another one. We give our employer, employees the freedom to take as much time off as they need to perform at their highest level and make their greatest contribution to the company. So in our company, we have unlimited PTO. You know, we don't try to restrict people in terms of when they take off. We trust them as adults, you know, high quality people that are going to take off as much time as they need to make their biggest contribution at work. Here's another one. I'll, I'll just finish with this one. And this is, by the way, in our, in our vision script, this is about 10 statements, but this is another one. We encourage innovation and experimentation. If something doesn't work, we learn from it and move on. In other words, we don't beat people up. We don't shame them. We try to, as I said earlier, metabolize every failure and use it as the fertilizer for the next initiative. So these are examples of the kinds of things that you want to state about the future of your team. So that's the team part of the script. Should I go on? Yeah. Um, and, and I had one question on the team side. Um, so that you're creating your vision for three to five years out. Um, yep. and, and in doing that, how taking that to the, the level of, um, you know, where an entrepreneur is right now, a solopreneur, you know, they're, they're working in their business. How do they translate that into saying, Hey, this is when I should be hiring my next, you know, my executive assistant or my, 
my next role that I need to add on to my team? Well, first of all, vision isn't the first step, or it is the first step, but it's not the last step. So you get the vision, that's got to be translated into uh, annual goals, which have to be translated into quarterly objectives, which come all the way down to weekly objectives, and then your daily big three. And I, I have a graph in the book, you may remember, that shows that linkage. So there's got to be a way that we link the vision to our daily actions. And I talk about that a little bit uh, in the book. But this is going to inform how you build the company. So the reason we came up with the unlimited PTO is because of this statement that we had in our vision script. And we said, you know, what can we do to create a company that really attracts the right kind of team? And so you mentioned it at michaelhyatt.com slash careers. We have, for example, our benefits package. And we've tried to create world-class benefits because we want to attract the kind of people that we can't buy. You know, people that are looking for a culture that's second to none. So, and then taking that a, a step further on the vision script, um, is, that, is that something where, I guess, being, being an entrepreneur, if you're setting aside that time to write your vision script and get clear on your vision um, so that you can have clarity and pass on that clarity to your company and your team, um, what, if, what if a leader is feeling stuck when they're writing or, or trying or attempting to write that vision script? Yeah, one of the things I have is a series of prompts to get you going. It's a series of questions. There's two full pages of those. I don't know if you remember that in the sidebar. I think it's like pages 74 and 75. But I have a series of questions that you can ask yourself uh, to get started. Like, for example, when it comes to the team, uh, what kind of teammates do you want to attract? What characteristics do they all share in common? How do they work? What is their work ethic? Uh, what do you do to attract top talent? What is their comp? What is your compensation philosophy? So if you did nothing but answer the prompts, actually just literally write the answers to the prompts, you'd be well on your way to a clear vision script. And this is all the vision script and, and vision-driven leader. This is taking what really it sounds like a lot of what you've learned and a lot of what you've already implemented, both at the prior publishing um, company and then also now within Michael Hyatt and company. Is that right? It is, but we've also done extraordinary research. I've got a team of uh, researchers that have worked with me on this. And so there's tons of examples from real life businesses like Kodak and Deck and Apple and Fujifilm and numerous others where we've gone in and we said, okay, what companies best exemplify this? What companies are kind of the worst examples of this? And so I think they're both inspiring and informative in terms of what to do and what not to do. This vision stuff, Evan, has a real impact on the performance of a, of a company. You know, Kodak's a good example of that. They invented the digital camera back in the 70s. They could have had it in production in 1992, and the board of Kodak just couldn't see a future that didn't include physical film. And so they were literally bankrupt because even though they invented the digital camera, they could not see their way clear to that kind of digital future. And, you know, it took a company like Apple to come along, produce the iPhone. And I just read a statistic, 2017, 1.2 trillion pictures taken just in that year alone wow. as a result of digital cameras, because now all of us, everybody, I mean, everybody has a digital camera in their pocket. Yeah. But that's the impact of vision. That is powerful. Um, and in, in starting Michael Hyatt and company, going through that process, were, were you 
setting out the vision on the front end? Like what was your vision from the beginning for your company? Well, first of all, it's developed over time and that's typically how a vision is. But one of the first things I did when I started this company was I got clear about what I could see. I couldn't see everything. I certainly don't see it with as much clarity as I see it today. And I don't see it today with as much clarity as I'll see it in 10 years. But you, you work with the clarity you have. And usually you have enough clarity to get to the next step. It's almost like climbing a mountain. You know, you don't have to belay your way all the way to the summit. You just pretty much need to see the next place where you can get your footing and then work your way up the mountain. And so three to five years is kind of that, that thing. So I came up with the vision script as I saw it at that time. I refined it ever since. But the key thing too is once you get this vision script, you've got part of writing it down takes it so that it's not abstract, it's concrete. But then another thing, it can't be implicit. It's got to be explicit. You've got to express it. You've got to share it. So my friend Andy Stanley says that vision leaks and it does. You think, well, I shared this with the company. We're good, right? No, this is not a one and done thing. You've got to be talking about vision until you're sick of it. That same consultant that challenged me and said, what is it about your leadership that led to this result? She was also the one that told me, she said, I, I, I was complaining to her. I said, well, I've already done the vision thing. I've already talked about vision. She said, let me tell you something. When you're sick and tired of hearing yourself talk about vision, you are half done. You're, you're barely started. Yeah, and I went, wow. Powerful. And she said, because people get inundated with, they're, they're overrun with overwhelm. They're inundated with their daily activities. They forget what they're building toward. And she said, it's your job to remind them that their daily actions have meaning. They're connected to a much bigger vision of the future than what they're, you know, the daily obstacles and challenges that they're facing. And so like in our company at Michael Hyatt and Company, we're very disciplined about how we do this. So for example, uh, once a quarter, we read to our team with enthusiasm. You know, I do it or one of my colleagues does it. One of those four components of the vision script. And then once a year, we just did this in our annual team meeting. I went through the entire vision script and I read it with emotion because I really believe in it. I'm really compelled by it. And by the way, if the vision doesn't get you excited as a leader, back to the drawing board. You know, if you can't yeah. get enthusiastic about it, you're not going to be able to sell anybody else. You got to sell yourself first. So I shared that with the team. And I, I'm going to tell you, Evan, I wish you could have been there. It was like super high energy. People were super excited. I heard from one of our customer service uh, people that I literally has never spoken to me in the entire time that, that she's worked for the company. <laughs> she came up to me and she said, I just want to tell you, that was so freaking inspiring. Wow. I am so excited for the first time. I see how critically important my role is and why I'm doing what I want to, uh, why I'm doing what I, what I do. And she hadn't been with us, but a few months, but the vision thing was the thing that gave her role meaning and where she saw her significance in the context of a bigger mission and a bigger vision. I love that. And, and I loved, you know, going through the book and seeing where you said many times over, be explicit you know, you can't just yeah. expect people to soak it up by being around you. You need to actually be out there constantly, you know, spreading the word of your vision um, because that is your, that is part of your responsibility as a, as a vision driven leader is to, you know, help other people see what their work does in the greater picture of the company. Totally true. And people can't read your mind. Um, not your <laughs> spouse not your fiance, yep. not your employees, not your best friend. Nobody can read your mind. 
And if you don't make it explicit, you might as well not have a vision. You've got to give it voice. You are the voice of the vision. And, uh, and, and to second what you were saying about getting people excited. Um, so we're, we're actually currently interviewing for executive assistance for our company and we're using your, your handy dandy book, which I recommend to everybody, your world class oh, assistant, uh, and using that as an outline to, to find our ideal assistant. But in the process, you know, we're, we're going through the interviews and we're explaining what the vision behind Holiday Ventures is and what our mission is and what we're passionate about and what we really want to do to have an impact on the world and how this is going to be massive. Perfect. And Perfect. you can just see their eyes light up. They're like, whoa, like, I really want to be a part of something like that. Like, that sounds yep. gr like great. Like, that sounds like fulfilling, ideal, impactful work. Absolutely. Well, you got it. I mean, that's exactly how vision works. And so I, I, I second everything you're saying for all of our monumental listeners is, you know, getting clear on your vision will, will allow you to do your best work and will allow everybody else to get just as excited as you are about, about the work you're doing. So as far as where you're at now, I, one thing I'd love to know is, you know, you're helping so many people. You have the full focus planner. You have many, many books, um, many courses, um, teaching business accelerator. Um, speaking on many stages across the world. What, what is it that has inspired you or, or initially inspired you to do that? And then what is your big why behind all of this? Yeah, my big vision is I want to help people win at work and succeed at life. That's kind of a, the shorthand version of our mission at Michael Hyatt and Company. We call it the double win. Um, so many people out there advocating to business owners and entrepreneurs or advocating what I mentioned earlier, the hustle fallacy. And people are working 70 to 80 hours a week. They're compromising their health. They're compromising their most important relationships. And they're getting, you know, to the end of their days, looking back with a lot of regret. I don't want that. I think it's possible to win at work and succeed at life, to have meaningful, impactful work, to achieve more by doing less. But on the flip side, to have a rich, full, meaningful life where you can be in the best health you can be in. You can have uh, great, significant, powerful relationships. And all that's possible. And that's kind of the driving force of my life. And, uh, you know, I wrote an earlier book called Living Forward with my friend Daniel Harkavy, that it's all about creating a life plan. So it's kind of a vision for your, for your personal life. And this book is kind of the corporate equivalent of that. You know, how can you create a compelling vision for your organization, for your business? But again, it all starts with vision. And that's why I've just finished uh, The Vision Driven Leader. Well, guys, do not forget uh, it, to get a copy of Vision Driven Leader when it comes out. It's March 31st, right? That's right. Yep. And you can pre-order it today on Amazon. It's available today. Okay. Even better, guys. Take him up on this. Uh, by the time this episode airs, you'll be able to pre-order the episode. Um, so, Michael, I feel like we could keep going and going. Um, <laughs> I love talking about vision. I love talking about, you know, being able to lead from inside and, and bringing that out to your company. Uh, and so I love the work you're doing, but let's Thank you. jump into our monumental questions. Okay. So what does success mean to you? Well, I probably jumped ahead when I just gave you that last answer. Success to me means that I can win at work and succeed at life. It's multidimensional. It means that, um, not that I've ever arrived, but that I'm constantly in pursuit of a bigger, better future. 
I love that. That's powerful. Um, what about your morning routine or, or daily habits? Yeah, I have a very defined morning ritual and I'm in a season of life where a few people can do this because I'm an empty nester. I have five grown daughters and it's just me and my wife at this point. So we get up at 445. My routine looks pretty, pretty much the same every day. You know, I get up, I actually read a passage from the Bible. I read through the Bible every year. I think it's one of the great repositories of wisdom, literature, and guidance. And uh, then I pray. Then I journal. I've been journaling for about 10 years now. And I find that it, it provides a disciplined source of uh, consistent reflection so that I can, you know, process what's happening and, and maintain perspective. So uh, then I go to the gym. And so I work out for an hour, uh, five days a week. And then from there, come home, you know, eat a quick, healthy breakfast, get showered and ready for the day. And I'm on to the day. I love it. And, and as far as, uh, do you have any sort of routine or a quick little tidbit on your routine at work? Yeah. So I, I, I actually advocate four rituals a day. So there's the morning ritual, then there's the workday startup ritual. I talk, I have these in uh, my book, Free to Focus. But the workday startup ritual, I don't want to be, for example, checking email throughout the day. So I consolidate that into my workday startup ritual and then at the end of the day in my workday shutdown ritual. And it has some other kind of routine things that are sort of the small, trivial things, but they're important if you, if you don't do them, particularly they become important. And then that frees up the whole middle of the day to actually do the deep work or, you know, presentations or interviews or this kind of thing uh, like this. And then at the end of the day, I have an evening ritual that I go through as well. I love it. Um, well, what about favorite book or a book you're currently reading? You know, I, I said this to you um, beforehand. I'm usually reading three or four at, at the same time. And by the way, I rarely read a book. I almost always listen to books. So I use Audible and I'm listening for an hour a day when I'm at the gym. So I can't wait. I don't actually enjoy working out that much, but I do enjoy learning. And so I can't wait to get to the gym to, to <laughs> learn whatever I'm learning. So a book that I just finished, Good Habits, Bad Habits by Wendy Wood. You know, a lot of people have heard of James Clear's book. Um, on habits, but this one I think is, I liked it even better. Another book I'm reading right now is Becoming a Professional Life Coach, which is all about sort of a philosophy and coaching methodology, but those are a couple, but not the only ones I'm reading right now. I love it. So guys, check out those books. Also make sure to check out Vision Driven Leader uh, and, and many of other, Michael's many great books, including your world-class assistant, which I got a lot of value out of. Um, Thank you. And so where can our monumental listeners uh, reach out to you or follow you? Yeah, you can. Um, the best place to go is michaelhyatt.com. Uh, there's a link to my podcast, Lead to Win, uh, all my courses, my business coaching program. And we've also got, I don't know if my team mentioned this to you, Evan, but we've got a free uh, PDF download called Three Leadership Pitfalls to Avoid in 2020. This is really powerful. And it also has to do with vision. But people can find that at michaelhyatt.com slash pitfalls, and it's free. And if you're leading any kind of organization, this is must-reading. Yes, I love it. And we'll, we'll add that to our uh, show notes as well, so everybody listening can download that right away. Well, Michael, I, I really, really enjoyed today's episode. Um, I know our, our monumental listeners will as well. Um, and guys, if you are listening right now, uh, make sure to subscribe rate and review Monumental. Uh, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to share it on social media, tag Michael on whatever platform you're listening 
uh, ever social media, tag myself, let us know. Let us know what your favorite part of today's episode was. And with that, have a monumental day.